Okay. So uh, today, the sermon that I prepared is simply titled, The Calling. The Calling. And the theme that I want us to see is that God invites ordinary people to be his saints. That's it. God invites ordinary people to be his saints. And it's funny because as the young lady was praying, uh, who was singing up there, she pretty much stole my whole sermon. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. All right. Um, our scripture text is going to be Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Our focus verse will be verse 7, but while you guys are turning, I'm just going to give us a little bit of an introduction as to what's going on here. So this is, this is set, the setting of this is in Rome in the first century, and it's written by the Apostle Paul. Now the Apostle Paul has a big job to do. As an apostle, Paul's job is to plant churches, similar to this one. Every once in a while, Paul would get letters from the churches that he planted because the churches would have particular problems in them. And Paul would then write solutions to these problems in the form of letters. Romans is one of those solution letters. Now, in those letters, it was customary for Paul to always open by greeting his audience with words that affirmed what they now were because of Christ's work. So we'll take a look at one of those greetings in this particular letter. In these first seven verses, Paul immediately breaks out into Trinitarian praise, and he shows how God chooses, Christ works, and the Holy Spirit applies what Christ's work um, to his church. Our, our focus, as I said earlier, would be on verse 7. And once again, I just want us to see how God invites ordinary people to be his saints. So I'm going to read the verse out loud and just follow along with me. Uh, Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray before we begin. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you come down and allow your spirit to do what he does best, which is to give life to dead, cold, stony hearts and make them into hearts of flesh. Lord, I pray that you use my words to illuminate your people, to strengthen them, to encourage them, so that they can go through another week knowing that they are your saints, called by your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, this phrase in verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved 
by God. This has a special meaning to it. Paul is telling us that not only are we God's possession, but that he esteems us with the highest known love in the first century. And that's called agape love in the Greek language. Agape love. Agape love is a word that is primarily set aside to describe God's sacrificial love in the New Testament. The King James Version renders this word as beloved. And this is the same word that um, the King James Version used to describe Jesus at his baptism. Remember the verse, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God made sure that all who were present at Jesus' baptism knew that he loved Jesus with the highest known love to the Greek world at that time. Paul tells us that God in Christ loves us with that same degree of love. Now, if you doubt that God loves you, just take a look at Christ and what he did on the cross. And that's a reminder of the lengths that God would go through to show you that he loves you. So this alone shows Christ's great power to not only unite us together with God vertically, but also to unite us with each other horizontally. And the, the unification between us horizontally can be kind of strange, but it still happens and we come together as one big, glorious, dysfunctional family. People who have drastically different cultures and backgrounds, and, and, and they, they, they all come together in Christ, and they all call each other brothers and sisters, and I'm looking at that right now. And amidst all the diversity in this room, we have unity in Christ. Fun fact, that's where we get the word university from. Unity and diversity, university. So you see, in this infant church, the church in Rome, the Jews, it was, it was comprised of two different types of people. You got the Jews and you have the Gentiles. The Jews were those who were simply Jews. And the Gentiles were every other nation in the world. Now the Jews, they were the church folks. Those were the ones who were raised in church, they were a product of vacation Bible school. They, they regularly attended all the Bible school classes, church picnics, and small groups. There were those who were really serious about the faith. One might assume that the church was about the Jews. They were God's hand-picked people. They experienced a, a great deal of what God has to offer. But they were responsible for crucifying the Christ of Christianity. Well, then there's the Gentiles, right? There's, there's everybody else. One might assume that the church is about the Gentiles. They were the ones who believed in superstition, you know, avoiding walking under ladders and black cats. They could live seemingly good lives, or they could live life on the edge. They didn't have laws regulating their behavior. They ate what they wanted, and they had no regard to what the church saw as being sacred and inviolable. One might assume that the church was about them. 
After all, they accepted the Christ of Christianity that the majority of the Jews rejected. They weren't guilty of breaking God's law, nor were they God's first choice to be examples to the rest of the world. But the Gentiles were too responsible for crucifying the Christ of Christianity. God's choice of people shows that the church does not belong to just one specific people group. The church belongs to the beloved of God, made up of all nations for the sake of Jesus Christ's work on the cross. Christ's work for us ordinary people that God invited to be his saints. So, so now that we see that God chooses his church, we have to look at Christ's work for his church, those whom God chose. Paul pointed his Roman listeners to Christ's work in verse 3 and 4 as a sole reason why God uh, as a sole reason why God called him to spread God's gospel or his good news. God's good news or his gospel to us sinful people is simple. God became a man, lived a sinless life, died for our sins and rose again on the third day. Christ's works are the only reason why we can belong to God and be loved of God and he and also be used of God. Christ's work is the sole reason why God can call us. The word called, as you can tell, means invited. Scripture is filled with God inviting ordinary people to be a part of his extraordinary call. We see this from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses and so on and so forth. And throughout scripture, God shows himself to be the great inviter. We in turn must and will respond yes to that invitation. His invitation for us to be saints. So God's invitation for us to be saints is drastically different than any other invitation that you may have received in the mail or possibly through email. You know, the, the invitation that tells you the type of the event, and then it asks you the number of guests, and then some even give you the choice of chicken or beef. Not to mention the famous yes, I will attend, or no, declines with regret. You guys know what I'm talking about? So first, when you get this invitation in the mail or through email, you have to determine, do I even like this person enough to go to it? And then you have to ask yourself, oh man, do I have to get a gift? Does it have to be an expensive gift? What about an inexpensive gift? Can I just give them a card with money? Do I have any money? So, so after you go through this grid and you determine that you like the person who invited you, then you have to check your schedule to make sure that you don't have anything else planned on that day. Now, if the day is free and you decide to go, now comes the hard part. Putting that invitation with the self-addressed stamp envelope back in the mail. That is so hard for me to do. I'll get in the wedding invitation. It'll just sit on my table for days. And my wife will look at me and say, are you going to put this in the mail? I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. So, but, but this is in no way the process that God uses to call us. 
That's definitely not how the Apostle Paul was called. You can read about the Apostle Paul's calling in Acts chapter 9. God's invitations are irrevocable. And they're also irresistible. They're irrevocably irresistible. You'll know it once he invites you. God's invitation as a saint will even forever change the view that you have towards your sin. You'll start to hate your sin. You'll experience a newfound appreciation for the Bible and even the people of God. You'll even start to sing songs that remind you of your calling as a sinner. Oh, when the saints go marching in, Oh, when the saints go marching in, everybody, oh, Lord, I want to be in that number. When the saints go marching in. See, this is more than a song that should just be sung in Mardi Gras. This is a song that has great power to it. So, so let me ask you a question. What do you think of when you hear the word saint? Well, according to one tradition, one is recognized to be a saint through the process called canonization. Now, canonization is a lengthy process which involves many years or even centuries. Let me just, there's six stages to canonization. I'm just going to explain them very briefly. The first stage of canonization is that an expert investigates your life. And then, if you made it to the second stage, the bishop of the, of the diocese further studies your life. In the third stage, the information is sent to a special body. And if you're approved, you get the title venerable. In the fourth stage, you get elevated to the class of the beati and given the title blessed. In the fifth stage, you have to show proof of two miracles that you've done after you've died. You didn't need the two miracles if you died as a martyr for the church, if you died, as a, if you died for the faith. In the sixth stage, the Pope may canonize you. Now, this is serious business, folks. This process is not for ordinary people like you and I. It's also not the biblical definition of a saint. I don't know about you, but I would have been toast after the first stage. Somebody looks at my life. I'm done. The Bible's definition of a saint is simply an ordinary person chosen by God and called holy that is set aside for his purposes. Just as Paul was set apart as an apostle for the gospel of God. Once again, a saint is just an ordinary person that God invites to be a part of his extraordinary calling. That's it. But how can God call us holy or set aside? How can Paul call us God's holy ones? Paul is giving us a sneak peek into the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And he does that when he uses the word saints. So what is justification? Well, I'm going to get technical here on you. I'm going to read from question 33 of the Westminster Shorter Confession of Faith. It says that justification is an act of God's free grace 
wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Simply put, justification is a legal term. It's God calling us not guilty because of what Christ has done for us. So say, for example, say I stole Dante's wallet. Now, for the record, I did not steal Dante's wallet. But say I stole his wallet, and there were cameras that caught me in the act, and my fingerprints were all over his wallet, and there were dozens of witnesses. I'm guilty, right? I'm a lawbreaker. My sentence is death. Then, once I have my day in court, and the judge looks down at me from the bench, and he says, Jonathan, I declare you not guilty. Works every time. <laughs> How can this be? The weight of the evidence is clearly against me. I mean, I know that Lady Justice is supposed to be blind, but its judges are supposed to be blind. Ray Charles conceded I was guilty. Now see, on the, on the outside, you guys are supposed to laugh, that didn't work, that's okay. <laughs> on the outside, in the eyes of God, you and I are clearly guilty of breaking God's laws. But, in justification, God does not look at our law breaking. God looks at Christ's law keeping. That's a standard which is outside of us. Then, when we accept God's free gift of grace, which causes us to truly believe that Christ died for our sins, we step into Christ's sinless position, and God sees us as he sees his son, holy. As C.S. Lewis said, the son of God became a son of man so that the sons of men, us, could become the sons of God. What I didn't mention in that courtroom example is that before the judge declared me to be not guilty, Jesus was standing right next to me saying, it's okay, Your Honor, I've paid his fine. That's right. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So God has a plan on this earth for his holy ones, his saints. And his plan is to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. But God's plan would be stuck if he waited for us like to, to pay our own fines. If he waited for us to make ourselves holy. In fact, man left on his own could not and would not make himself holy. Man is hostile towards God. Man hates God. That was us before Christ. That's why God, against our permission, has to drag us from our hell-bound course and redirect us towards himself. The reality of our justification, once that has happened, is that even after God calls us holy, we still have in us. And by the spirit that God gives us, we are called to kill that indwelling sin. Otherwise, we would never feel the gravity of the sins that we commit as Christians. Christian. 
Did you feel holy when you woke up today? I sure didn't. Got some honest people in there. If you didn't, then take heart, because that's a feature of your justification. That's a feature of your invitation as a saint. And then when you do commit a sin as a Christian, you have to have memorized 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Let me read these to you. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. This is John writing to the church. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, then Christ is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, church, we make Christ a liar and Christ's word is not in us. If you can confidently look me in the eye and tell me that you feel holy because of something that you did in and of yourself, then I can confidently look you in the eye and call you a liar. I can also tell you that you don't understand the demands of God's law. But what I can also confidently look you in the eye and say is that one day we will be out of this body of flesh with its lusts and sinful cravings. I can't either. I can't wait either. <laughs> One day we will experience full redemption. One day we will take on a glorified new body that is wholly incorruptible and not subject to decay, all because of God's gracious invitation to us to be his saints. If we were tasked with making ourselves holy, then God can never use any of us as his saints in his plan. But praise God that he invites ordinary people like you and I to be his saints. This is like the, the praise like the time right now. <laughs> so, so another thing, we, we, we throw this word around lightly as Christians, saints. It's not a word to be used lightly. It's, it's not a word of mere flattery. It's a designation of a person who has been forever forgiven of their sins and fully restored to their state as a child of God. As a saint, God sees you and I as having fully and finally satisfied all his demands. And you did not invite yourself to be a saint. This was not a job you applied for. Paul tells us in the third chapter of Romans that none is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. But now, as a declared saint, you do seek for God. As a declared saint, you have grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the guarantee of your grace and peace? That's the Holy Spirit who now lives within us and applies Christ's work to our lives. So we saw how God chooses the church. We saw how Christ works for the church. Now we're going to see how the Holy Spirit applies Christ's work to those that God chose. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the reason that Paul can greet these ordinary people of Rome who are invited to be God's saints with the words, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's unpack this statement in verse 7. And let's do it piece by piece. So, what is grace? Grace to you. Grace is a gift by which we are given and we are saved from God's wrath. It is God's unmerited favor. Or as we teach our kids at home, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Now, God has given us his spirit, the same spirit which rose Christ from the dead. We did not deserve God's spirit. And don't ever let anyone fool you into thinking that you did. The only thing we deserve is hell. The Holy Spirit then applies the grace to us that enables us to do that which we are invited to do, to be saints. To bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations for the sake of Jesus' name. Does this mean that we should all quit our jobs and become missionaries? No. That's not what I'm telling you to do. Paul is telling us that before you are a lawyer, or a financial planner, or a business owner, or an employee, or a tech guy, or a cook, or a cleaner. You are first a saint. And then after you're a saint, you're a lawyer, financial planner, business owner, a, a cleaner, a, a mate, a nerd, a nurse. <laughs> you, you, can be a, you can be a nerd too. I mean, that's... You must never divorce your calling as a saint from your occupation. Because if you do, you will find yourself living a double life. In church and on Sunday, you'll be a saint. When you get back in the world, you'll be an ain't. So what about peace? So we saw grace. What about peace? Peace from what? Peace from our war with God. God has placed his wrath meant for us on his son, and we in turn have taken our scopes off of God. He is no longer our enemy. The Holy Spirit gives us Christ's peace while we undergo the trials and tribulations of this world. That, I'm talking about that John 14, 27 peace. That peace that the world cannot give. The peace that should cause us not to be troubled or afraid of what God has invited us to be, his saints. The Holy Spirit has also made us a part of the family of God. Paul says that we have been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We are no longer outsiders to the covenant or strangers to God. The Holy Spirit declares us to be saints, just as he declared Jesus to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. That is why, so since we are in the family of God, that is why Paul can say, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You are now a member. The Holy Spirit declares us to be saints. He declares us to be not guilty. So be encouraged of your not guilty verdict, saints. Be encouraged of the very fact that God has invited us ordinary people to be called to his extraordinary calling to be saints. If you feel that calling, don't run away from it. 
embrace it. Ask questions about it. Pray that God reveal his invitation to you in a way that is unmistakably clear. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you for choosing us. And thank you for giving us your son who lived for us. And thank you for your Holy Spirit which applies what your son did and to whom you chose. Help us to remember our calling as saints, as those who are not guilty. Declare to be free from sin, even though there are days we don't feel like it. Help us to not live and operate off of what we feel, but what you say in your word about us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.